Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm Jonah Comstock, the new editor-in-chief of Pharma Forum, and I'm excited to be hosting this podcast and continuing to bring you conversations with some of the leading thought leaders in the pharma, biotech, and digital health industries. And today, I'm joined by one such, Jennifer Goldsack, CEO at Dime. Um, Jennifer and I uh, have spoken a couple of times. We spoke at, at Health in October. Uh, she is kind of right at the forefront of a lot of what's going on right now with digital therapeutics. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that topic. We're going to talk about what she's been hearing around the uh, pharma industry at some of the events that have been going on recently. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Um, thanks so much for having me, Jonah. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So before we dive in, um, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about Dime and, and what you do so they have an idea of, um, of where you're coming from on all this? Uh, happy to. So for folks who don't know Jonah, um, Dime is the uh, affectionate shorthand for the Digital Medicine Society. Um, and Dime is a global nonprofit dedicated to advancing the safe, effective, ethical, and equitable use of digital technologies to optimize health. Jonah, we took we take a really broad view when it comes to the scope of our work. We think across the care continuum, we think across regulatory and geographic boundaries. To us, a heart rate is a heart rate. It does not make sense for us to measure it or describe it or evaluate it differently, whether it was developed by one pharmaceutical company or another, one healthcare system or another one government agency or another, or one uh, vendor company or another. So in an era when data does not live in a manila folder locked in a filing cabinet anymore, and we think about flows of data, and we think about needing to standardize and harmonize evidence and definitions in this digital era across the care continuum, that's what we focus on. Jonah, just to give you a little more insight, we at Dime are first and foremost a convener. We are able to do extraordinary work in support of our mission because of the members who come together. And they are from across a variety of different disciplinary backgrounds, from citizen scientists and cybersecurity experts, all the way through to payers and regulators. Digital health, digital medicine is the most interdisciplinary endeavor we can think of and being that convener and using this community to direct our activities is, I think, some of the most important work we do. Great. Um, and, and I think that's so, so interesting and so important and, and kind of lines up with some of the conversations we've been having at PharmaForm about sort of the, the convergence of, of the digital health world and, and the pharma bio life sciences world and how you know things are not as as cut and dried as they used to be right that's exactly right and i think one of the one of the pieces that's so important for success is this idea that incumbent leaders in healthcare and health innovation whether that's in medical product development or whether that's in the provision of care are not going to go away however they are not expected nor should they be to deliver on the promise of the digital era of healthcare alone. There are software engineers, there are product experts, there are cybersecurity experts, um, there are huge data architecture folks who are out there. These skills exist. We need to figure out how to partner. We need to figure out how to create 
a common unifying language such that we can collaborate and a shared understanding of what good looks like in the digital era. So with that stage set, um, were you at um, the virtual JP Morgan this month or have you have you been at any other kind of uh, virtual or in-person events recently to sort of get a, a feel for what people are talking about as we go into 22? Jonah, I have yet to make the official list for JP Morgan, but was indeed um, involved in a number of events that happened virtually um, earlier this year around JPM. And you know what's really interesting uh, as a consequence of a lot of the discussions I listened to was it's clear, Jonah, we are far beyond considering whether and how digital is going to impact healthcare. The decision has been made. I heard certainly during the course of the conversations, large healthcare executives talking about their own investment portfolios into digital health, their own digital strategies. We see and hear reports of enormous investment and success into full stack care solutions that are primarily digitally powered, so virtual first. And all of this to say, Jonah, is that traditional healthcare, as we were saying, traditional research and the clinical experts who lead those endeavors are not going away. But it is clear that we are in the midst of a permanent transition to digitally powered healthcare in the digital era. And the big question as a result of all of the conversations, in my opinion, now is how on earth are we going to pay for it? That's the question whether it's reimbursement models, whether it's thinking about getting new digital products into formularies, how are we going to figure out how we access these new kinds of care, how they integrate into existing systems and how they don't uh, and how we pay for them. So um, around that, did, did you, have you, I mean, either, you know, in having some of these conversations or just in the generally in, in your work and as a convener, um, what are some things you guys, you see, or, or you've heard a lot of people say are, are coming up in the next year? Uh, any predictions, any uh, trends you see particularly going onward? So it's really interesting. And I know that Pharma Forum obviously has a uh, life sciences audience. I'm going to start with something that sounds like it's very much on the healthcare side of the shop, but it's got serious ramifications, in my opinion, for medical product development. What we're really starting to see, and it's led by a number of different players, Jonah, we're starting to see the largest payers in the country launch virtual first programs. We are starting to see CVS closing retail storefronts and moving towards a focus on digitally enabled care, primary care. We're seeing Walmart thinking increasingly about healthcare provision, both in stores around the country and through digital means. What does this mean for medical product development? And this is where we get to my prediction. We are going to start to see the expectations of volunteer participants change forever. And I intentionally say volunteer participants, Jaina, because we have to remember that the greatest asset we have in clinical research are those volunteers people who are willing to enroll in the trial. We know that we have an enormous amount of difficulty already, even pre-pandemic, in recruiting and retaining volunteer participants. And now we have a population around the world with vastly different expectations. 
they've already been exposed to digital, enabling every other facet of their life, banking, you know, all the usual ones we talk about, retail. But now they have those digital expectations in their healthcare. And I think that's really important when we think about the likelihood of trial success, of operational success. If we aren't cognizant of the expectations that our volunteer participants have around the seamless use of technology, around systems that are built around them and not the clinic, we are going to be in real trouble as an industry. And I think that's really important as we look ahead this year and beyond. Interesting. So it's not just you know, customer patient engagement, customer centricity as is sort of nice to have, but it's it's going to be an expectation. Um, and whether or not you're able to meet that expectation is really going to affect whether you're able to effectively do the work that farm companies need to do. That's exactly right. And I think until we simply accept that and stop questioning whether it's coming, can we do it, and take more of a mindset of it's not coming, it's here, and we must do it, and we must do it well, and we must combine both the participant experience with the scientific rigor that medical product development demands, we are going to be in real trouble. Now, that is not to be doom and gloom. I see it as an opportunity. If we are seeing the emergence of virtual first care, for example, we are seeing patients who are self identifying as preferring virtual approaches to how they receive and receive care and manage any health conditions. If we are seeing clinicians opting into delivering care through virtual first approaches, then in terms of medical product development, there's enormous opportunity for us to pursue those individuals, whether as potential sites, whether as potential participants. And so I think there's an opportunity, and quite frankly, I anticipate that there will be a fork in the road. There will be those organizations and individuals engaged in medical product development who make out very well. They realize that this is coming. They realize that organizations like ours, um, the Digital Medicine Society, and, and, and many others, including regulatory colleagues, there's new guidance out now on digital. It came out in December. Um, there are a lot of resources that we can leverage in order to do this well. And for folks who continue to stall and question whether this is coming, there is going to be a divide between these two groups in medical product development. And I mean, who's <laughs> like, what, what do those battle lines look like? I, I mean, is it, do, you, do you think it's going to be kind of an even number of people who are sort of seeing it or not seeing it? Or, or is it going to be kind of a few holdouts versus, an, you know, an overwhelming tide towards the new kind of paradigm or the other way around? <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. And we've heard at Dime that there are something akin to mandates, um, if you like, that a certain number of digital endpoints are expected to be deployed across different therapeutic areas. And, you know, whether or not this is true, I can't say for sure. I haven't heard it directly, but certainly hearing sort of murmurings of this kind of thing. I think it's all going to come down, however, to recruitment. I simply don't think we are going to be able to demand what we have historically of participants in this moment and going forward. I think that some people may get burnt once or twice. They may cross from one set of thinking to another. I think if they are agile or reasonably agile in doing that, they will fare quite well. 
but what I think will be the difference between the organizations that thrive and those that don't are medical product developers who have a, a digital strategy that is embraced by and supported at the very highest levels of the organization that is thoughtful and intentional and spans entire therapeutic areas and entire organizations such that there is collective learning. And it is not about let's pilot a measure over here. Let's use a bit of social media recruitment over there. Let's try the odd telehealth visit or uh, a, a visiting provider or a local lab over there. It's going to be a concerted and intentional top to bottom utilization of real world data and evidence of a variety of different locations where um, visits or encounters can happen, the use of remote monitoring, virtual visits, and that these things are centralized and driven by and supported by institutional leaders. That is where we're going to see the real success. And as I say, and I'm repeating myself, but I think it bears repeating, this is what volunteer participants are going to expect. It's happening left to right across healthcare and not just in the U.S., China has just overtaken US in terms of telehealth utilization. It is happening around the world, and we cannot expect participants to tolerate what we've asked them to do previously in this digital era of healthcare, Jonah. So I want to move on to a couple of other areas, because I think, I think you're absolutely right about, about telehealth and, and expectations around trials. Um, I've been looking through some of the year-end um, funding reports that you know that come out this time of year, and <laughs> it seems like there's a situation with pharma where there's a lot of investment in pharma, and you know, in the digit on the digital charts, there's a you know almost unprecedented amount of investment in like R and D, drug discovery, AI, things like that. Um, don't see as much in the the digital therapeutics area. And a lot, but not as much as, you know, in trials, you see a lot, but not as much as in R&D. Um, but I guess I'm curious, one, uh, you know, what, what do you think is driving that interest in, in you know, digitization and, and, and um, you know, uh, use of AI in, in uh, drug development and R&D? And then two, what do you see going on right now with, with digital therapeutics? Do you think that it's, um, you know, going through a sort of a lull of interest or is there some other kind of explanation there? Yeah, that's a lot so, of questions. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Let's tackle them one by one. They're great questions, Jonah. So let's talk a little bit about the AI piece. So to me, the, the place where I'm most excited about that being deployed within drug development is really in the discovery phase. There were some fascinating, and I can't remember if it was 2021, it might have been the tail end of 2020. But Jonah, there was a fascinating report that came out of an MIT lab that using AI, there was the ability to detect a new antibiotic in a number of days based on a particular algorithm running on an enormous data set. They were able to go through combinations and permutations until they came up with, you know, a molecular structure for a potential new antibiotic. We think about the public health crisis that faces us with antibiotic resistance, if we think about the challenge and of conducting trials of new antibiotics, if we can make the upstream discovery highly efficient, I think it's a great example of what AI is poised to do in the discovery phase. And that's, that's the piece where I think it can be really powerful. Then at a more sort of practical level, um, during trial execution, I think going back to what I was talking about around how challenging it is to recruit, 
we now, and I'll say it again because it bears repeating, I'm doing this a few times to you, Jonah. Um, Data is more accessible than it's ever been. It doesn't live, as I said, in a manila folder, locked in a file cabinet, in a locked room anymore. We should be testing our protocols and our inclusion exclusion criteria early on to see if those patients exist. And we should be using real world data and AI in order to do that. So we don't need 12 protocol revisions. We should also be examining really thoughtfully where we intend to recruit volunteer participants from using these sorts of tools. The reason I think AI is enjoying its moment in in drug development is because it solves pressing and tangible issues challenges in discovery, challenges in sort of nuts and bolts, uh, protocol development and recruitment. And that's before we even get to how we might be using a variety of different algorithms and things like digital endpoints. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's kind of like, it's an idea whose time has come, right? It's a moment. (laughs) Uh, The technology is here. The need is here. And so we're seeing it invested in. Well, exactly. And it's almost reassuring, right, as we look at this enormous investment that there are real problems that match well with these sorts of solutions. This is not just activity, but unfortunately, in clinical research and healthcare more broadly, there are pressing and persistent challenges. And while digital certainly isn't a silver bullet that's going to solve all of these issues, um, it's, it's, as I said, encouraging to see thoughtful investment into real solutions, Jonah. So let's carry that idea into digital therapeutics. Um, but broadly, like just to set a definition, so we're both on the same page, and we're talking about apps, software that's prescribed like a drug, used like a drug, um, you know, provides a therapeutic benefit to the patient. Um, it's a, I don't even want to say it's a new area, it's, um, but it's an emerging area in, in digital health and in, in pharma. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what, where do you, where do you think that is right now? Where do you think it's going? Yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged by where we are with digital therapeutics. You, you offered a question earlier about is the bloom off the rose and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but no, I think that digital therapeutics previously enjoyed a lot of visibility and support as one of the early movers in the digitization of healthcare. Now they're simply a hulking great $4.7 trillion industry in the US alone that is experiencing digitization and medical product development is only a subset of that. And and those conditions appropriate for a digital therapeutic are a subset of that. So it actually feels more balanced to me. And it certainly is not an indicator of how well this particular subfield of medical product development is going. I'll give you a couple of examples, Jonah, in terms of what is getting me excited right now about digital therapeutics. First and foremost, you know, I looked to Germany and their DIGA uh, program. They have, if my um, if my memory serves me correctly, 24 apps currently authorized for use. And what encourages me most about that is it's not simply that these digital products have been developed and cleared, for example, but there's actual market access. And I think that's a hurdle, a last hurdle issue that's challenging us in the US. But to see 24 digital products in Germany being prescribed and reimbursed and generating data for more permanent evidence to allow them to become a permanent feature of the healthcare environment in Germany is exciting. I think it's also encouraging to see that France has announced that they intend to follow suit and almost 
implement an identical program in France to the the German DIGA uh, legislation and policy around fast track assessment and market access for digital therapeutics. So, you know, right now, I think Europe, in terms of a top to bottom approach, not just, you know, regulatory success, but actual market access is really leading the way. Mm. That's not to say, though, that we're not seeing great things in the US, Jonah. There's a particular movement on the digital therapeutic side of the shop in oncology that I am really excited to see. I think oncology lags behind, in my opinion, in terms of digital innovation. It is an area of enormous activity and perhaps more importantly, an area of enormous unmet need. We saw breakthrough designation for one digital therapeutic to treat depression and anxiety in leukemia right at the beginning of the year. And we've seen some collaborations um, to really improve cardiology care and cardiotoxicity monitoring for cancer patients. These are exciting solutions to real problems. As I said, I think oncology lags behind a little bit in the digital movement, if you like, and and it's encouraging to see digital therapeutics leading the way there. So we're kind of coming to the end of our time. This is a a quick podcast format compared to what what I'm used to. but I want to give it, you a chance to, you know, kind of answer an open-ended question. What haven't we talked about yet that you think is really a, an important part of the conversation or, or, or something that needs to, you know, that, that maybe needs or wants to be discussed around, um, you know, around pharma and life sciences right now? Yeah, uh, thank you for the opportunity. There's one thing we haven't touched on, um, Jaina, that I want to make sure we get into, and that is around the use of digital endpoints in medical product development. So, for folks on the line who may not know, the Digital Medicine Society or DIME maintains a library of digital endpoints used in medical product development. So these aren't feasibility studies, these aren't pilots, these are actual endpoints being used to make decisions about new drugs, new devices, new biologics, and even genetic therapies. And what we've seen at Jonah, first and foremost, is that we've been maintaining this library for about two years. It went from 32 endpoints when we first launched through to 301 at the last update. And my dog is so excited about that. She decided to weigh in. Now, um, Jonah, what's alarming about that is, you know, on the one hand, it seems positive, right? There's a lot more adoption. There's a lot more buy-in. We've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of sponsors, I actually think 99 at last count, um, embracing these digital endpoints, Jonah, but every single one is different. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing in the marketplace is there's competition that's based on what to measure. There isn't a collective agreement on what the most important things are to measure, and then competition and investment to develop the very best version of those digital endpoints. And what we announced at Dime just a couple of months ago is the first pre-competitive collaboration to advance a novel digital endpoint. So specifically, we are looking to develop in the pre-competitive space nocturnal, digitally measured nocturnal scratch for use in the development of atopic derm products. And I'm really excited about this, not just from the point of view of what it's going to mean eventually to atopic derm patients with better therapies that address the symptoms that are most important to them. But to me, Jonah, it's a watershed moment in the field. There's a consensus, I think, an emerging consensus and the um, organizations who are collaborating with us on this particular endeavor, I think, are leading the way that 
it is not in the interests of pharma to compete on the measure. The measure is not IP, but rather if we can figure out what the most important things are to measure from the patient perspective, if we can bring our regulatory colleagues with us on that and we can collectively agree that these things really matter, then we communicate that to the very innovative vendor community and allow them to build those tools to the best of their ability. And we are collectively generating the same data that we can input to meta-analyses we are very quickly going to understand what these data mean. We are very quickly going to be able to confidently deploy them in decision-making around new medical products. And I think this is a seed change moment for the field. So that to me is one of the biggest advances we've seen in pharma vis-a-vis -vis digital in the last year. And I we will be launching the results of all of that work this summer, Jonah, as well as a an entire portfolio of initiatives really bringing digital endpoint development into the pre-competitive space here at Dime. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, uh, Jennifer. Always great to talk to you. Um, it's, you know, it's an exciting, it feels like an exciting time right now for, for pharma and for digital health um, and for that sort of convergence that we talked about. So hopefully we'll get a chance to check in again in a few months and, and see how some of these trends have panned out. Fantastic. It is indeed an exciting time. As I said, Jonah, digital is not a silver bullet, but it gives us a whole new set of tools in the toolbox to solve these pressing and persistent challenges. I feel really strongly we can bring them to bear equitably and effectively to really transform how we do medical product development. So it was great to be able to come and share some ideas with you today. It's always wonderful to chat and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And thank you so much for making the time to join us. Of course. Thanks, Jonah. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Thanks for listening.